Thank you for joining us. This broadcast is made possible by the Lord and the donations of brethren like yourself. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you and shalom. Shalom. My name is Ephraim Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries, and welcome to B'nai Welcome to our Arab Shabbat broadcast. From our family to yours, thank you for inviting us into your home each and every week where you can join together with many other brethren across the globe watching this broadcast in the worship of the Lord, the setting apart of the Sabbath, and of course hearing the teaching from the Word of the Lord. It is April 5th right now, 2019, and a couple of announcements that we have for this week. Um, we still have our event registrations open. Uh, the first one for the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot. We're holding a hotel conference in Dallas, Texas at the Wyndham Dallas Suites Park Central, uh, and it'll be a weekend conference that is June 7th through the 9th. Um, registration is still open for that. If you're in the area and would like to join us for the appointed time, we encourage you to uh Go to that website, get signed up, get your family registered, and we would love to see you there at that conference. Also, a reminder, if you have already registered, you need to make your accommodations with the hotel, and you can contact them directly uh, to make sure you have a room. Make sure you also mention that you're with the Line and Land Ministries group so that you get our room rate. Another event that we have coming up, our biggest event of the year, which is our Feast of Tabernacles, which is coming up in October. If you go to tabernaclesevent.com, you can get your family registered for that as well. We have a wonderful time there. It's like a it's like a big tent revival almost where we go out, many brethren are camping. We have evening programs, kids programs, youth programs, workshops, dance workshops, community evening meals each and every night, and uh, amazing time with fellowship. Um, we encourage you, if you've never been a part of our Feast of Tabernacles, we encourage you to get signed up and join us. And also, if you can't come to our Feast of Tabernacles, we always are encouraging the brethren, make sure you're keeping the appointed times. Find some place. There's many uh, that go on through, all throughout the country uh, that host Feast of Tabernacle celebrations. We encourage you to meet with the brethren, have that holy convocation with the brethren, and worship the Lord at his appointed time. Once again, you can go to tabernaclesevent.com to sign up for our event. Another announcement that I have to make uh, that I'm excited to share is that uh, me and my family are going on a speaking tour in the early part of August. We have a couple of locations locations uh, that we are going to. We're going through the Southwest, through uh, Arizona, New Mexico, and also also Southern California, and also up along the West Coast, up through Oregon and Washington State as well. Uh, more details will follow as we confirm some of our dates, um, but we are telling you that to encourage you to um, keep 
your eyes open for the specific announcements for when those speaking engagements will be. Also, if you're in any of those areas, any of those states, if you're interested in possibly uh, either hosting an event, please contact our office and uh, we would love to see you. Me and my family traveling would love to meet some of the brethren along the way. So we're excited and looking forward uh, to that speaking tour that's coming up in early August. Again, uh, dates are not specifically set for that, but contact our office and uh, contact us if you're willing to be a part of that and prayerfully um, consider that and we would love to see you out there on the road. Once again, if you uh, are enjoying this broadcast and this ministry, we always ask that you prayerfully consider uh, making a donation so that we can continue to serve you with this broadcast. You can go to llgive.com and you can make a donation to this ministry. You can also donate to the Lynn Judah Memorial Fund as well, which helps uh, brethren to attend our events and also kids to attend our youth camp, Camp Yeshua. Once again, thank you for joining us here on this Sabbath. Now let us set apart the Sabbath with the Kiddush and the family blessings. Shabbat Shalom. We're the Judah family and welcome to our home. Please join us as we welcome in the Sabbath. Now the blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Pri HaGafen Amen Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. And now the Hamotzi, blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz, we give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together, as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atarunai, Eloheinu melech haolam, hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Now, husbands, let's bless our wives. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wives that you have given to us. We thank you for giving us wives of Proverbs, Lord. 
Father, I pray that you would pour out a special blessing upon my wife this Sabbath day. I pray that you would encourage her and strengthen her in all the things that she does here in our household. As she takes care of the children, as she teaches them and educates them, as she takes care of our home, I pray, Lord, that she knows how valuable she is and how her worth is far above jewels. I thank you for the wonderful blessing that she is to me, to our children, to our household, and I pray you pour out a special blessing upon her on this Sabbath day. We thank you, Lord, in Yeshua's name. Amen. And now we will bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May God lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. Amen. Now we bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And grant you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. 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 Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Bahu Adonai Hamvorach. Baruch Adonai Hamvorach Le'olam Vahed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Michamocha, Baelim Adonai. Michamocha, Nedahar Bachodesh. No Ratechilot. Oh, Now the blessing of the Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai, Elheinu melech ha'olam, asher natan lanu et derech ha'yeshua b'mashiach yeshua. All together. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Veshamru v'nei Israel et ha-shabbat, la'asot et ha-shabbat, l'adrotam b'rit olam, b'nei avayom b'nei Israel ot'hit le'olam, k'sheshet yamim asadonai et ha-shamayim v'et ha-aret v'yom ha-shavi shabbat v'yinafash. All together. The children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema, if you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. 
Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuto Le'olam Vayed Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be his name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, he is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'achavta. Ve'achavta et Adonai ochecha b'chol levavcha uv'chol nashicha uv'chol meodecha v'heyu ha'devarim ha'ale asher nechim e'zavcha ha'yom alevavcha v'shinantam l'avanecha v'depardabam v'shivtecha v'yetecha uv'lechtecha v'derechu shakbika uv'kumika u'kershatam la'ota yadecha v'heyu la'totavolt b'inenecha u'chetavtam ha'mozuzo b'techa uv'sharecha All together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen. Let's open with prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to gather together with friends and family. Father, to come together and worship you as like-minded brethren, Father. That we would just come, that we would acknowledge what you've done in our lives, that we would put you first, Father. That we would love you with all of our heart, Father. Teach us those ways, Father. Let us love our neighbor, those here, those not, Father. Just teach us how to be what you want us to be, Father, as a community and as as believers, Father, we just thank you so much. goodly thy tents, O Jacob, thy tabernacle, Israel. How, how goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, thy tabernacle, Israel. And in thy great compassion I will come into your house there I will bow there I will feel
to the book of Leviticus, to chapter 12, where our Torah portion will begin for this week. And as you open the scripture, I will do the blessing before the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher b'chabanu mekol ha'amim, venatan lanu et torato, baruch atah Adonai nonten ha-torah ha-amen. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from among all peoples and has given us your Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Our Torah portion this week is entitled Tazria, which uh, comes from Leviticus chapter 12, which is a very short chapter, it's only eight verses, that talks specifically about the uncleanliness of a mom after she has given birth. Uh, the very first uh, verse or phrase in uh, verse 2 says, when and if a woman conceives and bears a child. That word conceives is where we get our title, Tazria, meaning she conceives. Our Torah portion is typically taught in a Double portion in most years. Um, this portion, Tazria, connects with next week's portion, Metzora, and often this whole subject is covered in the course of one week. Much of it has to do with leprosy. As we go into chapter 13, talking about how the priests will make a diagnosis of one who is declared unclean based on a skin affliction, and he's declared to be a leper, and he's unclean. And then the next week's portion talks about how the cleansing of the leper is to take place. In most years, like I said, this whole subject's covered in one week, but for this year being a long year, we get to talk about the subject of leprosy for two weeks here in our Torah cycle. This portion, along with next week's, is one of those ones that is very much the reason why the book of Leviticus gets that stigma for being that sort of that ancient law that we really don't want to deal with in our modern day. You know, when you think about or talk to New Testament Christians talking about, you know, well, the book of Leviticus, oh, that that old book that's got all kinds of things in there, procedures for how to fillet a dove and procedures for what's clean and unclean and what's uh, all these different bodily discharges and things like that kind of gives the whole book kind of a bad rap when there's so many so much good content in the book of Leviticus but it also specifically gives these chapters and this first uh, Torah portion is only chapters 12 and 13 for this week it kind of gives this whole Torah portion a bad rap as well because he said here, and yeah, we could read this word for word, and we can talk about how all the different spots that can appear on the skin and talking about whether something is scaly or it's a scab or that it's skin deep or that the hair that grows out of the scab turns either white or yellow or and then whether it's clean or unclean. And the priest makes all of these determinations. And these, this chapter, I've, I've said many times before, reads like a dermatologist's handbook as to what is a skin condition, which one is a really bad skin condition, which one's the one that will heal itself over time and the patient will be okay and we can sit here and we can talk about all the specifics of leprosy 
But that never seems to be a subject that is necessarily maybe edifying to us as believers. For us, especially those who are in the Hebrew Roots Movement, Messianic, we're always looking deeper into what is the instruction going on here. Why are these commandments here? And what do they, how do they apply to our personal, individual lives today? It's kind of hard to sometimes as you reading some of these words, if you went through the Torah cycle readings this week with your family and you read the Torah portion word for word each week, which I encourage you to do so, especially before you then hear perhaps this teaching, because I don't take the opportunity to read every word of the Torah portion. But some people do before you then have the teachings that come every Sabbath, not only from this ministry, but others as well. If you read the Torah portion this week and read it word for word, you probably were just kind of. Going through each word, wondering, what does this mean? Why do I need to hear this? Your children, uh, if you have older kids, might have been rolling their eyes as the words were being read. Talking all this detail about these skin conditions. But I hope to take the opportunity to truly teach how applicable these things are to us even today. And I have to go into the rabbi's interpretations of some of these things and and certain things that we speculate and we midrash about about what these passages actually mean. What's the reason for the leprosy? What causes this leprosy? Why would somebody need to be separated from the camp should they have leprosy? These are all questions that we should ask, naturally, if we're wanting to learn and learn more about the deeper content of what is in this Torah portion. Let me first start by talking about chapter 12. Like I said, it's only eight verses long, and it's specifically talking about the uncleanliness of a woman after she has conceived and given birth to a child. It specifically says this, that when she bears a male child, she shall be unclean for seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity, that would be the time of Nidah, or her monthly menstruation cycle, and she shall be unclean. On the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. She shall then continue in the blood of her purification for 33 days. She shall not touch any hallowed thing nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification have been fulfilled. Here, this instruction about the uncleanliness of a female after she has given birth to a son. Now, uncleanliness is tied to a lot of different things. We're, in next week's portion, we're going to have a whole series of things that the body that is, if there's any sort of bodily discharge, it causes somebody to be unclean. One of the big things also is blood. When somebody has a flow of blood, such as the woman in the New Testament that was reaching for the hem of the Messiah's garment, or any sort of scab or cut is considered by the rabbis to be a state of impurity, a state of uncleanliness. This blood that is inside our bodies, that is the life that God has given to us. The life is in the blood. The soul is in the blood, the scripture says. And it's like if we don't have the blood, we don't have the life. The blood is the place in which there's something very special about, about the, the red liquid that flows through us when it's oxygenated with the Spirit of God and that we, we can't live without it. And according to God, the blood is holy. Every sacrifice, the blood belonged to God. The blood was to go back to the ground, the Adam, uh, the Adama, and the blood in the Hebrew is Dom. And so it's like part of the ground that where we came from is the blood that is in our body. It's, it's all connected to the creation that God went, of God when he made us. It's very important. And so when there is a flow of blood in some form or fashion, 
it, we are in a state of uncleanliness. And such in the case of the birth of a child, there is a, a great deal of blood that is in the process of a child being born. And so the woman is to be unclean specifically for the seven days. And then there is what is called the state of purification for 33 days. It's given a different name, not just that she's unclean. You know, when we're talking later on, we're going to talk about leprosy where people are declared to be unclean and to where you call them unclean, unclean. And then you're to cast them out of the camp, out of the fellowship of the community that you're in. And that's not what you're to do with a mother that's been, that obviously is given birth to a child. She's not unclean in a way that we that, that she's ostracized and she's cast out. Obviously, after a, birth, after a child is born, medically, a woman needs to rest after giving birth to a child. The birth, the afterbirth, there's a giant open wound inside the womb of every mother that's given birth, and she has to rest and heal. There's also a connection between her and the baby, and so that there is there's a very specific thing that is taking place during that time that is absolutely crucial for the health and the healing of the mother and for the new baby that has been born and forming that connection with the mother. That there is a focus on that that needs to take place during that time. And obviously if, she's, if there's a restriction of her going to the sanctuary, she honestly shouldn't be getting out of bed during some of those days uh, anyways. And so there is a, very, a specificity to her taking this time to heal up and to purify herself because of what has taken place. Now, the very fascinating thing about this, though, which is where the debate and the discussion usually comes in this passage, is it continues on talking about if she bears a female child, where it reads in verse 5, she shall be unclean for two weeks in her, as in her customary impurity, and she shall continue in the blood of her purification for 66 days. Okay, so we have a distinction here between the birth of a male child and a female child. This is now proof where God is, uh, is uh, chauvinistic and there's a distinction that a male child only produces uncleanliness for 40 days, but a, but a female child produces uncleanliness for 80 days. And so here's a, another divide between uh, the male and females of society, and it seems like the females always seem to get a, a bad rap uh, according to the scripture from time to time. I don't believe that to be the case either. Now, I will say this first and foremost, and I will admit, I do not understand 100% why there is a distinction between the birth of a female and the birth of a male. And a lot of people actually don't. We can speculate on, on some of these things, but why is there such a distinction? One week of uncleanliness for a male, two weeks if a, if a female is born, and then the days of the purification is then doubled, 33 days for a male and 66 days for a female. I do not know 100% why this distinction is made. We can speculate that perhaps it has something to do with the original sin and the judgment that was placed upon Eve, the, the woman, after she had sinned, and that one of the curses that was put upon her was pain during childbirth, and that there is some sort of, there's a specific judgment that's upon her, and that perhaps this distinction between a female and a male ties back to the original sin. I don't know. It's possible. There's also a medical condition that you might not have been aware of that is actually a specific thing that could cause the distinction for why it is a longer time of impurity if a female is born. 
I already said the uncleanliness is brought on by flow of blood. It's already described that the state of impurity and the menstruation of a woman causes uncleanliness as well. There is something medically called baby menstruation, where a female baby will have something similar happening shortly after she is born, similar to the menstruation of a mature female that will take place for the first two months of a baby of a female baby's life. You can look it up in medical journals. It is a thing. And so perhaps God in his infinite wisdom knew that there was with this connection of a brand new baby and her mother, that there is a state of uncleanliness for a female baby that is similar to these things already described as being unclean, that creates that distinction. Obviously, the 80 days after a female is born would more than cover the potential two months that that uncleanliness and that specific flow of blood might actually take place. So perhaps God simply knows what he's doing when he makes this distinction between a male and a female. That's possible as well. We also can always look at the numbers because I've, as many times as I've taught Torah before, I've said many times, numbers mean things. Numbers, the, the number of something always has some other deeper connection. We're talking about that sowed secret level of the Torah that numbers sometimes have these powerful connections to other parts of Scripture. And or other meanings. And so we could look at that and be like, well, what's the distinction between 37 and 33 or 14 days and 66 days? Or we could look at the distinction between the total number of days, such as a male. If a male is born, she's unclean for 40 days. If she's born a female, she's unclean for 80 days. I've heard it taught before. The number four is connected to the Messiah. The Messiah came in the biblical year 4,000, or in the fourth millennia. And that the number 404,000 sometimes has connections to the Messiah. When a male child is born, we know always that with every person that's born, they need the Messiah. And that every time a male child is born, you always wonder if the Lord will do something powerful with that boy. Anytime that there's a prophecy of a, of a male th- th- to, to be born or the, the Messiah to come is that we don't know if the next male is going to be the Messiah. <laughs> you can look it up. And there's an, in fact, there's a offshoot sect of Judaism called the Druze in the land of Israel that specifically believe that the that a male child one day will be born and will be the Jew, promised Jewish Messiah. I don't have the time to go into all the details of their specific line of thinking. You can look them up. And they have some interesting theories about how a son, how a boy might be born and will later become the Messiah. So again, this number 40 can connect to the birth of a son and that it might be that this child that's born, we would hope would be the Messiah, the promised son of God that that would then be a savior and a deliverer to the world. We also can look at it this way, that every man that's raised up has to look to the Messiah as the example of how to live his life. That's something we all have to do as men, as human beings, that we look to the Messiah. Females, of course, do this as well. We look to the Messiah to for all of the examples for our teaching, for our instruction, for our salvation, for our relationship with God, all of these things that we need. And we should even from birth know and understand and believe that we need the Messiah. For the female, with it being 80 days of uncleanliness, with the number eight often connects to new beginnings. 
And so we know that when a female is born, we know that she's going to be raised up to be a beautiful daughter of Zion. She might be the one who also increases the life and the offspring of the world, of all people, of all mankind, and that new beginnings will continue to come. Every time a female is born, there's always the the potential, the ability for new births to take place, for new things to grow, new things to happen, and for fruitfulness to abound. And so the fact that the number 880 is connected to that as well, we could spiritually speak on that for the example, and just making the distinction between the life of a male and the life of a female as well. It says here, continues on, starting in verse 6 of chapter 12, there gives specific instructions for a woman after she has completed her blood, the blood of her purification, specific sacrifices that are to be brought. That she is after the, her purification is fulfilled. Let me go ahead and read here, verse 6. Whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year, a burnt offering, and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. That's what the burnt offering is for. And she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who has born a male or a female child. And if she is unable to bring a lamb, she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering, the other for a sin offering. So the priest will make atonement for her and she shall be clean. I make this distinction and I read this specific sacrifice. Again, this has to do with her being ready and the giving of these offerings brings somebody back into the presence of God. That she was to go to the priest, just like anybody else bringing an offering, and that she brought these offerings, a burnt offering for atonement, and a sin offering so that she can show that she has been made clean from her flow of blood, and she comes back into the presence of God. That's what the purpose of the offerings are for. But I also make this distinction to point out that this connects directly to the Messiah. If you go to Luke chapter 2, starting at verse uh, 21, where it specifically says this, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, this is Mary now after the birth of the Messiah Yeshua, giving us the instruction of exactly what Mary and Joseph did after Yeshua was born. He was circumcised on the eighth day. His name was to be called Yeshua, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Verse 22. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. What it's showing here is this, is that Mary and Joseph, the uh, birth, physical birth mothers of the Messiah, they kept the law according to Moses. One, they brought the child, him being the firstborn, that they are to be brought to Jerusalem and brought before the Lord because every one male who opens the womb, the quote was there directly, it belongs to the Lord. This is a, a prophecy and a commandment to all of the sons of Israel. But then it also talks and speaks that she brought these sacrifices, and it also speaks to the fact that they were not of great means, that they were poor because they brought the poor offering for her to after the state of impurity. She brought two pigeons or two turtle doves and brought this offering, and she was then made clean, and Mary got brought back into the presence of God because of these sacrifices, exactly as prescribed in Leviticus chapter 12. 
I bring, I bring this up to point out that the, that the Messiah in his life, that he truly was sinless through the course of his life. He was perfect and without sin and without blemish so that he could be the perfect Lamb of God sacrifice for us. And this goes all the way back to even the beginning of his life when he was but a child. His parents, though, fulfilled and kept the commandments according to Moses just as it's prescribed here. If we did not have that record of Mary bringing these offerings and talking about this this state of of impurity after she had born the Messiah or that he had been circumcised on the eighth day, then there would be arguments for him not being the appropriate sacrifice before the Lord and being the appropriate Messiah before the Lord because there was an unfulfilled commandment as to the state of cleanliness and purity. But here we have recorded in our Gospel of Luke, specifically, they did keep this commandment. And so we can go in as with a testimony of the Messiah that we have the confidence that Yeshua and his life and even his family kept these commandments. The passage in Luke continues on and says they went to Jerusalem for Pesach every single year. As it's commanded to go to Jerusalem for the pilgrimage feasts, they went every year in the life of Yeshua to Jerusalem for Pesach. They kept the commandments according to Moses, and it's the commandments of Moses, the first five books of the law, that prove that Yeshua was truly the Messiah that came from God. If, that detail, if those details weren't described, then the critics of the Yeshua of Nazareth being the Messiah would have more to say. So even here in this short chapter in Leviticus talking about ritual uncleanliness, we have the amazing connection to the Messiah that we should have all confidence that the Lord and Yeshua of Nazareth is our Savior and is the Messiah. Now as we go to Leviticus chapter 13, where I spoke already before, reads like a dermatologist's handbook describing all kinds of skin afflictions that might come. And it does talk about leprosy. It gives the specific word here that when somebody is unclean, they have leprosy. Is the Hebrew word zara, which specifically, um, which more readily translates simply to a skin affliction. We sometimes, when we hear the word leprosy, we think very uh, specifically about a skin condition that we picture in our minds. Perhaps you saw the movie Ben-Hur and you saw the makeup artists of Hollywood doing what they believed leprosy to be. And we even modern day call a specific disease called Hansen's disease, we call it leprosy. That specific disease is a, is a nerve disease. It's an autoimmune disease, I believe, that creates all kinds of, of afflictions upon the skin, whether it's bumps and, and, and dryness and scabs, and it, it, it can basically attacks the flesh, and it can hurt the flesh so much that it causes people to need to have amputated digits, and it causes a great deal of affliction, especially, and it affects the physical appearance of a person. And when we say in the modern day, we say leprosy, tend, we tend to associate it with that specific disease. And we think of what a leper would look like and what a leper colony would look like if all the lepers were cast out of the community of Israel and they all went to dwell in a certain place. And we can imagine what they probably all looked like. But in the instruction here in Leviticus 13, there are very small things that can be the sign that goes toward that causes somebody to be declared unclean. 
you know, somebody would come to the priest to examine what would be amount to a scab, a sore, a red spot, something, and the priest would examine it. And we have the instructions here in the scripture, not only for the priest to read, but all of Israel could read these things as well. And you look and they were to examine it and they, and they were to isolate them for seven days and then have them come back and reexamine and they could look and see, has it spread? If it's spread more or if it's caused and it appears to have been gone deeper than the skin and affected the color of the hair that actually grows on the skin uh, where that sore is, then then the declaration would be made that somebody was either clean or unclean. If it spread in a certain way, appeared to go deeper than the skin, then they were declared unclean. They were called a leper. Sometimes they were sent away for another seven days to just continue to examine it. And so the procedures are all here in Leviticus 13. This could start with something very small could be a small mark on somebody's arm, and after about 14 days of examination, it's starting to spread. It might not even be that big, but then it says somebody is declared unclean immediately then and there. That person would then, they'd wonder and they'd be like, man, it's, it's not even that big. It's not even, I mean, it's like I could just cover that up and nobody would know that I, ha, that, that I was declared unclean. And it would continue to spread and perhaps maybe, maybe even way longer over time, it wouldn't even become something that would afflict somebody physically in their appearance for even a longer period of time. And they could walk around and they could hide it. So why in the world would something so small be something that would cause somebody to be declared unclean? Well, specifically for the priesthood. We got to remember what the job of the priests were. Again, most of this was boundary maintenance for the sanctuary and to make sure nothing impure came into the presence of God. If we go back to Leviticus chapter 10, we remember this instruction here for Leviticus 10 verse 10 that they may met you, the priesthood, speaking to Aaron, God was speaking to Aaron at this time, you may distinguish between the holy and the unholy, between the unclean and the clean, that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them. This is what the, the, the priesthood had a very important job as, as far as separating these things out. And so they needed to make these distinctions so that nothing impure and unclean came, unclean came in to the presence of God. What would happen here is in ancient times, if somebody was ever declared unclean or declared to be a leper, it was like a death sentence for somebody. They, had to, they were commanded they were to leave the camp and they were to dwell outside the camp. That's why I mentioned earlier there's such a thing as a leper colony. That people, when they were declared unclean, they went and they, and they lived amongst all the other unclean things. And that this was some sort of disease or affliction that could not be cured. There was no medical knowledge of how to cure this disease. And even today, there are, there, there are uh, diseases that cannot be cured. They, they can be arrested but not uh, reversed. And we, they can, um, you know, we can treat these things, but certain diseases, they cannot be cured. And if you, somebody has this appearance to them and that they suddenly they, they get ostracized by their community, by the people around them, almost naturally. That somebody would see somebody like that and they're like, ooh, don't, 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 don't touch them. Don't, don't talk to them. They're, they're unclean. And that's what the lepers would walk around as in, in ancient times. You didn't touch them. You didn't come near them. It was as if they were dead because they weren't in the community and nobody talked to them. In fact, it's almost one, one could argue that being declared as a leper might even be worse than death. Because they still had to live with themselves. They still had to live and they had to hear every word of everything that was ever spoken about them and every mistreatment that somebody mistreated them, 
just because of their physical appearance. This is where we get into now the, the, the truly the teaching of leprosy. What does leprosy really do? I mean, we're talking about this, this skin affliction, something that's on the surface. The thing that causes us to think, though, is when you see something that's maybe very unclean or, or, or something that's on the, the surface that you question about whether it's good or righteous or clean or holy or pure or unpure or unclean, it makes you think and question, what's the natural question? What's going on underneath the surface? What's going on inside that person? What would cause that? Why would some sort of skin affliction break out on the skin? It makes you wonder what's going on on the inside. We do this in high school with uh, with teenagers or something where, you know, a kid might get some acne on his face and then people might ridicule him because of his uh, his appearance. They'll call him names. And then people will actually say it's all like, well, you know, you, you wouldn't have that acne if you didn't if you ate better. If you didn't eat so much chocolate, then you wouldn't have, you know, and that's what people say. And they say, don't eat too much chocolate or something because you'll break out. And some people do break out because they eat the wrong thing. Very interesting. That there is a connection, and people speak to that, that there's a connection between what goes into their body, what they eat, what they nourish themselves with, and how that affects what their outward appearance is. This is where we get into the spiritual nature of leprosy. The sages of Israel, the rabbis over the years, have taught many things about leprosy, and they actually have a list of things that cause leprosy within somebody. And these are not things like they touched something unclean or they came in contact with a specific uh, thing in the world. No, these are things that they actually can do or have done to them that causes spiritual leprosy. The rabbis say this, these seven things. One, slander. Two, bloodshed. Three, a vain oath. Four, incest or adultery. Five, arrogance. Six, robbery. And seven, greed. These are terrible sins that somebody can do or commit that the rabbis say can cause somebody to be leprous. Now, when it comes to that first one, slander, this is one of the really interesting ones to to talk about here. Now, the rabbis say that if you slander somebody, if you speak negatively to somebody and you basically are what's coming out of your mouth is actually some sort of vile slander, whether it's true or a lie, you're spreading something negative about another person that can cause leprosy in the person who slanders somebody else. And these are things that can that, that cause the sin inside physically to break out upon somebody else. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of the other person that gets slandered. What happens to them when slander comes upon them? Well, what happens is the entire community hears those words, hears that bad report, those negative those negative words about that person, and then they start to ostracize that person, and they might not want that person in their community anymore. That slander has basically projected leprosy upon them. It doesn't matter what we were talking about. It doesn't matter if we're talking about that that person uh, acts a certain way around his kids or if that person uh, likes a certain thing, like certain kind of movies that maybe we don't think are righteous and holy. But did you hear what that person does in his spare time? Man, I can't believe he would dare do such a thing. And they're slandered. 
And there's something ill is spoken of that person. So then everybody starts to believe that report, true or not. And they cast them out as if they're a leper. Slander literally is, is the thing in which you can project that onto somebody and it's as if you're putting leprosy upon that person. So much so others will want to cast them out of their community. That is most definitely connected to leprosy. That is the spiritual nature of leprosy. You don't have to have a physical skin condition to be you know, determined by a doctor or a dermatologist or a priest to then say this, this person is being treated as if they are a leper. Absolutely, this is the, the spiritual nature of things. Now, these, this list of, of seven things that they have there in Judaism, obviously they have different interpretations, but these are types of sins. These are specific sins that individuals can, can do that they believe actually physically can, can cause a physical reaction in the person who sins. This is one of those things that absolutely, I actually love because it makes the connection between spiritual and physical. You cannot have one without the other. The two are, are in, intimately intertwined with one another. And that spiritually, and you can commit things such as greed, like it's like I have a, somebody has greed for money and they want to desire more, more things. But then that causes other people to look at that person and just be like, I don't, I don't trust that person. They're greedy. And they, I mean, they don't have to have something physically wrong with them, but when you spiritually see that about them, you don't want to associate with them. And the rabbis say physically a reaction could come out. That, they, that, that their skin can actually reflect themselves, or what's on the inside. You, you might have seen that even physically in your own determinations when you meet people along the way. You might have met somebody that you know is just... They're an unpleasant person. They don't have peace in their life. Perhaps they're greed. Perhaps they're arrogant. Perhaps there's all these things. And you can actually see the physical toll it takes on their body sometimes. You can see you know, if they've lived a life a long time of that, they just, they, they just start to look gaunt. They just start to appear. And what's on the inside sometimes just starts to boil and bubble out to the surface sometimes. And this is that deeper connection between what is spiritual and what is also physical as well. I also make that connection also, of course, to uh, Proverbs chapter 6, the seven things that the Lord hates that are abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies, one who sows discord among the brethren. That last one right there, that's the, oh, I was already talking about that. To slander somebody within your community so that there will be a divide between that person and other people that are in the community. These are all connected, again, to this idea of leprosy. Now, now what I want to talk about is this, is that I want to go back to this real connection of about what's on the inside in the heart of a person that would cause somebody to be leprous. And being leprous, again, connects to being unclean. Being defiled, being unable to go into the presence of God. I want to take us to Matthew chapter 15, where the Messiah was speaking specifically about the things that would defile a man. So I want to take us here into the Gospels, and I want to, I want to touch on this, uh, this entire chapter here for a little bit. 
It says this, when this uh, conversation with the Messiah and the Pharisees, it says, The Pharisees who were in Jerusalem came to Yeshua, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. So because this was going back to a, to a commandment that the rabbis had stated, that you absolutely have to wash your hands, that, you are, that, that this is a law and a rule of, of ritual purity, that you have to wash your hands before eating. Now, I don't think anybody's going to argue and say that you, it's perfectly fine to eat without washing your hands. You do so simply for the sake of cleanliness. But the Messiah had an answer here, and he obviously was reading into the spiritual nature of this. Messiah said this, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he who curses his father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father and mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites! Well did I, uh, Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth to honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. And when he called the multitude to himself, he said, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then his disciples came to him, Did you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered them and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders, leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Let me continue on. Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Yeshua said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whichever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Fascinating what this whole teaching that the the Lord is speaking about. It started off with this debate about washing your hands before eating something. And obviously the food is is, is clean, but this tradition uh, uh, and this commandment that came from the rabbis about washing their hands became more of the commandment than anything else. And Yeshua's taking taking issue with that. And he's basically saying this. Nowhere in the Torah does it say if you don't wash your hands, then you've suddenly become defiled. It talks about food. We just talked last week in our Torah portion about what's kosher to eat. And that when the food that goes into your mouth, that certain things are clean for you to eat, certain things are unclean for you to eat, we're not even talking about that. The rabbis made a, made a distinction that you have to wash your hands, otherwise what you eat, then that becomes unclean and you've now become defiled by that. That's not what our Torah says at all. But what it does say in the next couple of chapters after that in our Torah portion for this week is there are things that can come out of your mouth that are said that is what causes defilement. The words that you speak, what comes, what actually proceeds out of the heart. They're talking, they're trying to talk about food, what goes into your mouth, that makes you unclean. The Messiah says, no, what comes out of your mouth is what makes you unclean. Now, what comes out of your mouth? 
Well, obviously, we're not talking about nausea. And we're not talking about vomit yet. That's next week in the in when we start talking about bodily discharges. What he's talking about here is he's talking about the words that we say, the things that we speak, the vile things that we can say to one another. And he says, out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, blasphemies, false witnesses, murders, adulteries, fornications. These are the things that defile a man, not whether his hands are clean or not. We have to be very careful of what we speak with our mouth, with our lips. Because what does so is what defiles us. We don't have a priesthood. We don't have a, a line of priests that can go and determine all these skin conditions that declare us unclean. What we have amongst the brethren is we have relationships with one another and we speak to one another and we speak about one another and we speak to one another and we speak all of these different things. You ever said anything you wish you could take back? You ever said something that, that about somebody and, and, and it, as soon as it kind of fell out of your lips, you were just like, no, just wish you could take it back. I have, and I believe many people have a testimony of doing that because it was hurtful, because it didn't need to be said, because you could have thought better and you could have, could have said something that was more kind, that was more productive, that actually could have, bit, but, you, but you just put somebody down. And he insulted somebody. And, and, and we do this, we do this so, many, so often, talking about one another. You're talking privately with another person, and then you're talking about somebody who's not even there to defend themselves. And there's sometimes that the words, you, you said something to the wrong person, and then the gossip train went around, and suddenly it comes back around that the person knows you said something about them. That is, what that does to a community, it just destroys it. That gossip train gets moving, and then suddenly, and, and then, we, we, then, then people start investigating. And we start doing all the investigation of who said what and when, and who said something first. And, and, and then when, when it comes out that it was you were the one that was the first to say something negative, that person didn't do anything wrong, but you thought you'd say something about it. Then who's got egg on their face? Then who appears to be unclean? Then who is the one that is declared that person shouldn't be in our community? They need to be cast out. Suddenly the first person that ever spoke something slanderous suddenly becomes the leper that is cast out of the fellowship. This is what we're talking about here. We're talking about the just the words that we can say causes leprosy. We got to be careful, mindful of the things that we say. Proverbs 21:23 says this, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Amen and amen. The things that you say and you project and the words that you speak out of your mouth have a direct impact on you, your life, not just your physical body, but your soul as well. That the things that, that sometimes it comes out of your mouth that you might think then inside your, your innermost being. And you can think, man, I really shouldn't have said that. I am, I, I'm, I'm, I'm mortified that if I were to say that again, I can't believe that I ever said that. And you think about this also about what other people say. And the things that people say about one another has a, just a deep impact. You ever said something that just cuts somebody to the core? Cuts deep or something. That's an idiom we actually describe about just an insult that's just that that's just a complete burn upon somebody. That's because it's it, it affects that person deeply into their soul. 
And it's like if you have a certain if you don't have a certain level of relationship with that person, you can absolutely destroy a person's soul by the words that you say. You also need to be mindful of even the things you say to your friends. Psalm 141.3 says this, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, and keep watch over the door of my lips. We have to spiritually put a guard over everything that we might say that what proceed out of our mouth. Even in times that we think that there's a comfort level in the things that we can say. Maybe you have a best friend that you can really just open up to and you can just share all of these things and these feelings that you have. And so you have a close camaraderie with somebody. And you talk about, you can talk about anything that you need to and you can just be completely open and honest and you talk about other people and other acquaintances that you have and you have all this relationship and there might be a comfort level that you can get that off your chest and you can communicate that way. The thing is, though, you never know who might even listen to that conversation. You never know when you might say too much to somebody that even is a close confidant of yours, but maybe you said one thing and then that close confidant suddenly some sort of revelation happens inside them and says, I can't believe that person just said that. I thought I knew this person. This is my closest confidant. But even I can't agree with that that was said. You've got to be mindful of the things you say, even in peacetime, even amongst your closest friends. What if somebody overhears you? What if somebody else hears that conversation? What if that other person just goes and retells the story, but they just simply make a mistake and they share too much of what was spoken in that private conversation? You might get yourself in trouble. We have to be so mindful and guarding of the words that we say. There's a commandment here in our in our passage talking about baldness that it specifically says here in verse 40 uh, of our chapter 13 here talking about leprosy. It says if the hair has fallen out of a man's head, he's bald, but he's clean. He's not unclean. Now, does that stop us from every once in a while? You got a good friend that happens to be bald that you sort of sometimes rip on him for it. You make a joke, close enough friend, and you'll be like, you know, that person says something and say, hey, I got, I got such and such. I got tickets to the game. It's like, well, at least I still have hair on my head. You make a joke like that. And it's fun. You laugh. They josh with you or whatever. What if somebody else overhears you and thinks, does that person really have something against bald people? You have a different kind of relationship with this person, and you can have that comfort level. But what if somebody else is listening? They might look at you and think that you're, man, it's like, that's kind of mean. You sure you might have been sarcastic. You're trying to make a joke. But maybe you, you might actually wish that that might actually hurt you in the long run because you said something like that. This is my counsel. This is my counsel to, to all of us who, who might be listening. Be mindful of the things you say, even, even when you're just joshing with your brother. Even when you're just what would amount to a joke or for humor or for, and even if you don't think that it's hurtful to somebody, it can actually hurt. It can actually cause somebody to feel like they're ostracized, that they've been cut off from their brethren, from their friends, from their family. It's interesting here when we're talking about these skin afflictions. If you really had a skin affliction, Everything else about you is fine. You can be healthy. 
Every other organ in your body can be healthy and you can, you can eat, you can function, you're not, you still have your wits about you. There is no reason why you wouldn't be able to function in every other manner or scenario or function of life or station of life. You just got something on your skin. That's what we sometimes think when we can just get away with acting a certain way. Because that skin affliction, that's what's on the surface, that's what the people see, and that will separate you from your brethren. That will separate you from the people, even though you think everything else is fine. Well, I, I didn't mean it. I'm still a good person down here. It's like, no, but the separation comes because we are such a visual people we, and, and, we, and we make that divide. All because somebody said something they shouldn't have said. We have a case uh, here in the scripture of somebody contracting leprosy because of something they said. Numbers chapter 12, Miriam, the sister of Moses, came to Moses. They had a problem and a complaint that Moses had married an Ethiopian woman. He had taken a bride, taken a woman. They took issue with who he married. Now, um, there's a couple of different layers that we can look at this. One, you can look at it and say, was there actually really, I mean, was this a racist thing? Hands down, they didn't want that woman in their family. And this was a racist thing that Miriam said and said to Moses, declared, you shouldn't have married that woman. The Lord intervened in this particular um, instance. The Lord came down, spoke to Aaron, spoke to Miriam, and he said, Who in the world do you think you are? I'm paraphrasing, of course. To speak to my, pro- to, to my prophet, who is Moses. I'm the one who brought you, called him, brought you all. The whole reason why you're in the wilderness and not in slavery in Egypt because of this guy. Who do you think you are to speak to him this way? And you know what happened? In the blink of an eye, Miriam caught leprosy. She became a leper like that. And Moses, being the great man that he was, he immediately started pleading before God and say, heal her, Lord, please heal her. Lord speaks back and she's like, no, she's going to be out of the camp for seven days till she realizes what she said and what it caused and, and, and the discord she was starting to sow by what she said. Seven days came by. She was brought back into the camp. But if you think about it, what happened? She said something. Now, it is poetic justice if you want to look at it as the as the the lesson is don't be racist, which I absolutely don't be racist. She complained about this woman. It could have been a problem because she didn't like the color of her skin. Guess what? The Lord was boom there. You got a problem with your skin now. How's that feel? <laughs> poetic justice right then and there. If that is if, if if that's that's one of the drosh levels that we can talk about that story and we can say it's all like, man, look at that. She complained about a woman could have been about the skin and instantly <laughs> instant karma going on right there. Also, we can simply look at this. She spoke up and said something out of turn, said something about the leader of Israel, said something about her brother and, and just, just came in all all nasty. And the way she said it could have been the reason for the leprosy this is again this is a proof that what we say and speak and what comes out of our mouths is what can defile us let's go to james chapter three love this love this passage this one will preach every every sunday if you have to James chapter 3 speaks of this and talks, talks about the, the, the power that we have in our tongue here. 
Let me go ahead and uh, just let's let's just start at the beginning of the chapter. So we get the context. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive stricter judgment. It's good that they should have wish Miriam had heard that. You know, she might be the sister of Moses, but don't think that you're that, that you might actually because of your position, you're going to receive stricter judgment for the things that you say. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. (laughs) Has there ever been a perfect man? I can only think of one. So that means we all stumble in our words. Able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths and they may obey us. And we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder. Whether wherever the pilot desires, even so the tongue is a little member that boasts great things. Wow, just like a bit goes in the horse of a mouth and can steer the horse. What, everything that's associated with the mouth and the things that we speak can steer our entire destiny. Continues on. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is and it is set on fire by hell for every kind of beast and bird of uh, reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison with it we bless God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the, in the similitude and similarity of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and flesh. Wow. I mean, this passage is so powerful. Talking about how we are to guard the things that we say. And that even the slightest thing that you say, that we, I mean, we have the ability, the power in our voice to curse somebody. Curse them. We're not going to consult mediums or, or diviners, but you can better believe that those things are real because it wouldn't, God wouldn't even waste his time addressing them for us to, re, to, to be away from those things if those things actually weren't possible. That somebody can be cursed. You might say, and you think in your life, man, have I really ever cursed somebody? Have I really ever like like put something upon them that of a spiritual nature or or something that that is afflicting them in the spiritual world? You might think and say, "No, of course I've never done that." Oh yeah. Well, did you use any curse words in the process? You know, those words, those four-letter words and the things that you say over over somebody or something like that, that those words that yeah, oh, those are just negative things. Then why in the world do we call them curse words? Why? I'm waiting. I'll wait, I'll wait for an answer. That's because those words have a power beyond just the words that are spoken to impact somebody else. It causes parents to cover their ears when they see hear somebody else hear them. It's things that, that, that in, in, the, in public circles you are not allowed to say. 
So why in the world in our spiritual circles and even in our private conversations do we not guard our lips and guard our hearts and our minds from speaking those sort of things like that too? They are, they come from the same place, this tongue that has the power, though it's small, it can make big, big impact. And you say those things about somebody else and you drop a few F-bombs. And then on Saturday, you're supposed to be worshiping the Lord with that same tongue. Praising his name, singing praises to the Lord. This, this ought not to be so. We have to be held to a higher standard, just like chapter 3 began. That you think even us being a teacher or being in a position of authority, that we somehow are, are exempt from a stricter punishment? God forbid. All men stumble over these things. We all make these mistakes. Let me continue on. Let me, let me finish out James chapter 3 at verse 13. It says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure and peaceable and gentle and willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now this, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Who here wants to be a peacemaker? I do. We, the, the, the things that can come from our lips, I've already said, we can curse somebody with our mouths. We can also bless somebody. We can also pronounce blessing, encouragement. We can speak life into people. We have the power in our tongues, in our voice. How did God make the world? He spoke it into existence. We're made in the pattern and in the image of God, given also the ability to speak Can you imagine the power that we have, that we have the power in our voice to create something? Maybe we can't make a tree appear or grow, and we can't create land that separates water like God does. But we can create a spiritual construct that exists in somebody's life. We can build with our mouth spiritual walls that divide one person and another person just by what we say. Never going to talk to that person ever again. It's as if there's physically a wall between them and you're never going to see them again for your entire life. You're going to be separated and you're never going to see each other ever again. But spirit, that's exactly what you've done spiritually by making a wall by what you said. We can speak all kinds of things into existence. We have the power to make a vow, that we, um, and that is said that when you make a vow between you and God, that it's va- basically using the same manner of speech that God used to create the world. That you are altering creation when you make a vow. We have to really understand what is capable of the things that we say. All of this going back to how do we remain clean and holy? And pure before the Lord. 
We, we can look at all the physical things. We're going to talk about the physical things. Physically, our bodies need to do this. We need to be mindful of the things that we eat. We need to be mindful of the things our body is doing. If there's a flow of blood, then we're unclean. We need to be mindful of what, kind of what we have relations with that we'll talk about here coming up in the book of Leviticus, here in this owner's manual of the human body, of the things that we need to do. We need to... Understand, yes, these physical things make us unclean, but we have got to get this understanding that the spiritual is intertwined with the physical, and even the things that we say can impact the physical and can impact whether we are righteous, holy, and upright before the Lord. It can defile us. I already said before, and I'll say it again God has made us holy. He has made us pure in his creation and made us holy. It is our job to remain that way. That's why we need atonement. That's why we need a covering. Because if there's anything that's going to come against us physically in the outside world, physically, you kind of need like, if there's arrows that are going to be shot at you, you need a shield to protect you from those things. So that those arrows won't mar your actual physical flesh cause you to bleed. That's what atonement is. It's a covering and a protection. And we must have it to be in the presence of God. Because he made us holy. We have to protect what has been made holy. And we do so by not defiling it. We defile it by the things we eat. We defile it by the things we touch. We defile it by the people we touch. We defile it by all of these things. We also can defile it by letting the evil inclination inside our hearts, Lashon Hara, the evil tongue, come out of our mouths and it defiles what it, where it originated from. This is where we're going to talk about, and, and this will be a connection into the cleansing of the leper as well, that there was a procedure that will come that we'll talk about next week's Torah portion, talking about how the leper was to be healed or to be cleansed if they had ever been cleansed. And there is a connection to an aspect of that somebody does something for you to make you clean, but what came from them and the person where it came from becomes unclean in the process. We have to understand this spiritual connection. We have to understand the power that is within, inside of us that we might keep ourselves holy and pure and always have a guard over our mouth and our lips and our tongue for the things that we might say. Because such things, that's originate from the heart, and such things, what comes out of the mouth is what defiles a man and not what goes into it. That's what the Messiah said about this subject. So... Let us pray before the Lord, and I pray that we would be encouraged to maybe do a little better in our manners of speech in our day-to-day -day lives. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day. We thank you for your teaching and instruction. Father, may this be our prayer this week, that you would set a guard and watch over what we say. What comes and originates from our hearts, whatever we say to one another, even if we say things to our friends, to our neighbors, to people we know, or to a stranger on a street, Father, may we always be mindful to not speak ill of one another, to not slander, to not speak a curse, whether a minor one, a small one, or a big one, or any manner of curse, Father, may we not speak any of it.
but may only life and blessing be what befalls our lips. With everyone that we meet, with everyone that we see, with all of our friends, family, brethren, our fellow neighbor. Father, I pray that we would be mindful of the things we say. Father, may you remove the leprosy that is in our midst, that has been caused spiritually by an untamed tongue, Father. Father, I pray that you would heal relationships, that you would heal the, the, the people, Lord, that have been ostracized, that have been cast out from their community, Father. Father, I pray for a great restoration for the, of those that feel like that they have been cast away from a group, from a fellowship, from a family or a community. For Father, you alone are the ones that can heal leprosy. Not by the hands of any doctor or physician physically, Lord, but only you as the spiritual, as the divine physician, as the author and finisher of creation, Father. Only you can truly heal everything that has been defiled, Lord, whether physically or spiritually. May we turn to you, Father, and may we remember to bless you in all things. And may we keep our mouths free from cursing one another. For, Father, we cannot do both. So, Father, we love you and bless you and thank you on this Sabbath day. Father, we thank you for all the blessings of this ministry, Lord. Pray that it would be ministered to the people mightily. Pour us out as a a drink offering, Lord, to serve the brethren. Father, we pray your kingdom come very soon and your will be done in all things. And we thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Now, the blessing after the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher natam lanu Torah temet V'chayalam natah betochenu Baruch atah Adonai nonten ha-Torah Amen Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has given us the Torah of truth and has planted everlasting life in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the sun has set on a Friday night, bringing peace into your home. Families will gather all around singing Shabbat. Shalom, everybody sing. Shalom.
from God, put a smile. 